Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Uh, as always, we have a tremendous amount of ground to cover, and I just don't know how we're going to get through all of it, but we'll do our best. We're going to have some special guests on today's program. Mick Martin of KXJZ will be joining us in our third segment to talk about that little blues, uh, how to sing the blues comedy bit we did a few weeks back with comments on that and other things. Uh, we may hear from Sakura Saunders today, and we may not. If not, Sakura will be talking at length on next week's program about the documentary. She'll be showing at 194 Chem. The revolution will not be televised about the political goings-on in Venezuela. Some interesting stuff, and she'll have a lot to say about that. We also expect to hear from KDVS's own news director, Steve Valentino, about the appearance of Karen Hughes, one of the inner circle of the George W. Bush team. She's been with the Georgie boys since he was back uh, in the, playing governor down there in the Lone Star State. And um, I'll be curious to hear what Steve has to say about this. I do not know how things went down with Karen Hughes. I'll be curious to find out whether she said uh, uh, anything whatsoever that was remotely truthful. N not to demonstrate any bias I may have against the Bush administration. Uh, well, we've got to talk a bit today about the fact that these, uh, these embers we've been blowing on for some time, when we had Greg Pallast on last year to talk about, uh, you know, uh, Georgie Bush's Texas Air National Guard Service. Well, this story has finally caught on. Bush felt compelled to appear with Tim Russert on Meet the Press last Sunday to address these issues of why he was AWOL and uh, from the, from the uh, from his guard duty. And they've phonied up some documents, which um, well, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. The thing I want to start off today's program with is something I look forward to every year, and I've looked forward to this since the 1960s, if the truth be told. The Esquire Annual Dubious Achievements of the Year Award. Uh, they used to do this every January. Now they, they realize that, you know, there's a little bit of a, a ramp-up time uh, for magazine publication. It now comes out every February, so they get the full year in. And after all, we'd hate to miss some of those dubious achievements that take place every December. Now, we'd like to point out that uh, quite a number of these stories that Esquire decided to cite at the end of the year, we already talked about. Um, I think we think the same way the editors of this fine magazine do. When we see a story that stands out as a particularly dubious achievement, we have done our best to cite it. Now, some of these are new uh, to, uh, to us, uh, but some of them are not. So we'll go through, and of course, as always, oftentimes the funniest thing about the story is the caption Esquire puts on the news item. Case in point. Item, U.S. soldiers found what they believed to be Saddam Hussein's love shack, which contained naked woman-shaped lamps and airbrushed paintings of a topless blonde 
and a mustached man wrestling a crocodile, <laughs> which prompted Esquire to caption it, just as Colin Powell warned when he held up that naked woman-shaped lamp at the UN. Now, we missed that story, but here's one we did bring to you last year. Speaking of his plans to marry his 28-year-old fiancée, Erica Levy, in a synagogue, Geraldo Rivera said, I'm making a conscious decision to take this whole Judaism thing seriously. I think the Jews need me right now. (laughs) Which prompted Esquire to caption it. Haven't the Jews suffered enough? You know, we, we actually did a little comedy bit on that with Jackie Mason. If you remember, and I hope you do, you you regular listeners. And I you know, by the way, we're glad to hear from you folks sending us those emails. Keep those coming. All right, item. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban said of the sexual assault charges against Kobe Bryant, quote, from a business perspective, it's great for the NBA. Prompting Esquire to caption it, from a penis perspective, it's great. From a vagina perspective, not so great. All right, item, Esquire's dubious achievements of the year. During a divorce hearing, first brother Neil Bush admitted he had extramarital sex while he was in Thailand and Hong Kong several years ago. Neil Bush claimed he didn't know the women were prostitutes. When a lawyer noted that it was a pretty remarkable thing for a man just to go to a hotel room door and open it and have a woman standing there and have sex with her, Neil Bush replied, it was very unusual, prompting Esquire to caption the whole thing, and Neil's the smart one. And how could we not note uh, the Iraqi information minister, Mohammed Saeed al-Sahaf, better known to uh, people on Fox News, I guess, as Baghdad Bob, for statements like the following, I triple guarantee you there are no Americans in Baghdad, or... They are nowhere near the airport. They are lost in the desert. And my favorite, the cruise missiles do not frighten anyone. We are catching them like fish in a river. (laughs) But it, it did prompt Esquire to caption this one. Well, it could have been worse. He was this close to putting Saddam in a flight suit and having him pose in front of a mission accomplished banner. Item. When Fox News' Brit Hume asked President Bush, how do you get your news? The president answered, and I quote, I glance at the headlines just to kind of a flavor for what's moving. I rarely read the stories and get briefed by people who are probably read the news themselves. Prompting Esquire to caption it, on the other hand, he always finishes Marmaduke. And going back to our favorite, Geraldo, uh, speaking about his newly acquired fifth wife, producer Erica Levy, Geraldo Rivera said, This is the destiny I've declared for myself. I want to die in her arms. (laughs) Which Esquire naturally captioned, The sooner, the better. All right. Thank you to Esquire Magazine for that. They've been doing this since 1961. So I guess we can look forward to the 50th anniversary in 2011, which really is not all that far off. 
All right, we got a lot of political stuff to cover today, but let's let's do some uh, let's do some late night comedy summaries. Now, we we read on last week's show the startlingly large number of young people in America who get their political news from late night comedy shows. Scary, but it was something like twenty percent, as I recall from last week's show. But uh, well, this is how people are getting their news. Let's recap some of these quotes for you. Some of these are pretty good. All right, Jay Leno. On Meet the Press yesterday, President Bush was asked what he would do if he lost the election. And Bush said, you mean like last time? <laughs> Quote from Bill Maher. They're having a panel look into this intelligence failures in Iraq, but the findings from the panel will not be issued until after the election. President Bush says the commission can go off and report back in a year. You know, the way it works in the Texas National Guard. All right, item from a few days back, Conan O'Brien. This week, both John Kerry and Wesley Clark are making campaign appearances with the guys who saved their lives in Vietnam. Meanwhile, President Bush is campaigning with a guy that once took a math test for him, David Letterman. Presidential candidate Howard Dean was at a fish market in Seattle catching fish. (laughs) He did so well. Next week, he starts full-time. Jay Leno, about uh, Bush's appearance on Meet the Press. Bush admitted that his pre-war intelligence wasn't what it should have been. Well, we knew that when we elected him. (laughs) One from last week, David Letterman. You know, after the game, President Bush calls the winning team. Of course, he called the Patriots. And and listen to this, though. Former President Clinton called Janet Jackson. (laughs) Jay Leno. One critic in the L.A. Times said, uh, John Kerry looks like he's thinking too much. Well, this is one place President Bush hasn't beat. From Jay Leno. Yesterday on MSNBC, televangelist Pat Robertson said the reason Democrats are still competitive in national elections is that, and this is his quote, African Americans don't cotton to the idea of voting for Republicans. Uh, Maybe that's because Republicans like Pat Robertson keep using cotton as a verb. <laughs> and finally, this one. Quote from Jay Leno. This past weekend was tough on a lot of candidates. John Edwards got caught trying to bring a pen knife through airport security. Wesley Clark's motorcade got stopped for speeding in Oklahoma. And Dennis Kucinich's campaign <laughs> got cited for loitering. <laughs> All right, you know, we actually like uh, Dennis Kucinich, and of course, now that Wesley Clark has pulled out of the race, we're left with two anti-war candidates, Howard Dean and Dennis Kucinich. And uh, no, I don't count Al Sharpton as a real candidate. We'll be coming to that in just a minute. Uh, The two remaining so-called frontrunners, John Edwards and most particularly John Kerry, the designated, uh, you know, guy to beat in this current race, both voted for the war. And uh, there's a lot, a lot about John Kerry's record to be, let's just say, unenthusiastic about. But we're going to save that for um, for future reference. Right now, the big stories, um, of course, are Wesley Clark pulling out. And I'm sorry to see this. I was, I was hoping that Clark would make a, a serious run at this. A lot of people I respect, uh, people like Eileen Proctor, uh, were very high on Clark. And, of course, as you know, Michael Moore came out and endorsed him. 
Madonna's uh, backing up of the general perhaps didn't didn't help him very much. But I will say that I think Michael Moore, uh, his very successful campaign, saying that he wanted to see Wesley Clark because he wanted to see during the debate the general up there on the dais with the deserter. And uh, this is finally, uh, you know, it's finally dug in. This has finally got a little bit of traction, this idea that, you know, if you're AWOL for a sufficiently long period of time, as Jerry Polikoff pointed out on uh, last week's show, then yes, you become a deserter. And, um, you know, the fact that they're trotting out these records showing that he got paid, and I'm sorry, that just makes it look worse. The commanding officers never saw young George W. Bush show up to do his guard duty. He wasn't there. And, uh, you know, by the military code of justice, that makes him a deserter. Stay tuned. We'll be following that one. And by the way, you have one more week to register to vote, and I would urge everyone out there to do so if you're not already registered. Apathy is something that uh, the powers that be, the, uh, the people that need to get voted out, are counting on. They uh, hope that you will just not care, you will stay home, and they can continue to do what they're doing. The California primary may, um, you know, I don't know, they may, we'll know by, certainly well before March 2nd, how important this is going to be the Democratic race, but I don't think we should count out Howard Dean uh, yet. I certainly hope not. And California's 370 delegates, uh, you know, that's, that's a substantial number. You need 2,160. Well, California's got 370. If Dean does well here and does well in New York, uh, he may yet get back on track. I, I really have a hard time getting enthusiastic about Kerry. And um, listening to Dean, you know, he's a pretty good guy. And if he sticks, if he stays on message, I think that um, he's going to do okay. I hope that, uh, that whatever delegates Clark had amassed to date will uh, move over to the Dean column. Uh, I, I, I certainly hope that. We also would like to mention that we suspected um, last week that the group calling themselves the Club for Growth, which was operating in Iowa, running anti-Howard Dean ads, was really in the pay of the Republicans. And it turns out this has been confirmed for us by an article in The Village Voice, which we will now quote from. Uh, knowing no more than the content of the ad last week, we suggested that this had to have been purchased by the GOP. And according to Wayne Barrett, Adam Hutton, and Christine Legorio, writing from The Village Voice, that yes, it is precisely that. Bush forces, under this guise of calling themselves the club for growth, that were buying ads in Iowa, assailing the then frontrunner, Howard Dean. Now, this article is not about um, uh, Republican dirty tricks against Howard. Well, actually, take it back. This article is very much about Republican dirty tricks attacking Howard Dean because it turns out there's a mole in the Democratic midst. The Democrats, in quotes, are running someone who's actually even less qualified to be president than George W. Bush. His name is Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton is a con man that really doesn't have a lot to offer anybody. He first came to national attention back in the 80s when he and a couple other guys claimed that a black girl had been kidnapped, raped, and humiliated by a bunch of white men. And when it was later revealed that this, in fact, was a made-up story, Sharpton tried to claim that, well, it's still a really important story because this kind of thing can happen. 
Al Sharpton is the thinly disguised character that appears in Tom Wolfe's Bonfire of the Vanities, the absolutely corrupt black political leader operating in New York City. And uh, you really have to get a hold of, I think you should go on the web and read this article. Because this is a barn burner of an item. The article is called Sleeping with the GOP, and it reveals that. Al Sharpton's campaign is being orchestrated by Roger Stone. Roger Stone is the longtime Republican dirty tricks operative who led the mob that shut down the Miami-Dade County recount that by all accounts was the turning point in the election 2000 fiasco that helped make George W. Bush president in the year 2000. That's right. Get the picture here. The guy that was leading all of these Republican staffers to go down and pound on doors and pretend to be outraged Miami-Dade residents demanding that they stop recounting these votes that were expected to turn up an awful lot of missing votes for Al Gore. This is the guy that's running the campaign for Al Sharpton. Who do you think he's really being employed by? They're turning Sharpton loose to act like a bull in the china shop, and that's exactly what he's been doing. Last July, remember this, at the NAACP convention? Sharpton shows up, starts waving an axe handle around. Now, those of you tuning to remember um, should be advised that the axe handle was a symbol used by the Georgia governor, Lester Maddox. Lester Maddox was governor of Georgia before Jimmy Carter. He was an avowed segregationist, an avowed racist, and when black people tried to show up in his restaurant and sit down and have a meal, he drove them out waving an axe handle. This became his political symbol, which he rode to success becoming governor. For years afterwards, people that would visit his restaurant could purchase in the gift shop souvenir axe handles. When Sharpton says, anytime we can give a party, 92% of our vote, and still beg some people to come and talk to us, there still is an axe handle mentality among some in the Democratic Party. Well, I got news for Sharpton. The axe handle mentality in the old Dixiecrat Southern Democratic Party have long ago switched over to become Republicans. People like Strom Thurmond may have run in the Dixiecrat Party segregationist stance in 1948, but uh, he closed out his career as a Republican. Now, the article points out that Stone was recruited in 2000 by his friend James Baker, former Secretary of State, to spearhead the GOP street forces in Miami. And they say in the article, Stone's apparently confident he can use the Democratic bashing preacher to damage the party's eventual nominee. Now, Sharpton has a history of switching sides and uh, joining forces with the GOP or Democrats, whoever would like serve, uh, you know, the interests of Al Sharpton. He is bribable and apparently has been in the past. Remember in the Iowa debate, Al Sharpton takes center stage at a debate, confronts Howard Dean, then frontrunner Howard Dean, about the absence of blacks in his Vermont cabinet. Roger Stone told people that he, quote, helped set the tone and direction of the Dean attacks. It was other GOP operatives in the Sharpton campaign that were supplying the research. Let's just quote a bit from this article before we get out on, the, on our first segment here. 
Al Sharpton and Roger Stone are, in a sense, brothers under the skin, outlandish personalities too large to be bound by the constraints that govern the rest of us. Stone was the registered agent in America for Argentina's intelligence agency. Sharpton was a confidential informant for the FBI, wiring up on black leaders for the feds. Stone is a fashion impersonator, dressing like a hip-hop dandy. Sharpton, having shed his gold medallion and jogger suits, now looks like a smooth banker. Stone was involved in Watergate at the age of 19. Sharpton was a boy wonder preacher. Stone's mentor from the days of his youth was Roy Cohn. Sharpton's mentor was James Brown. Sharpton is a minister without a church. Stone is almost as rootless having left the powerhouse Washington firm he helped form years ago. Each reinvents himself daily, if not hourly, as if nothing in their past matters. Now, by the way, Stone was the guy that got in trouble when it turned out that he and his wife were advertising on the web uh, for other swingers, including photos of themselves. Yeah, it seems that the main accomplishment in Al Sharpton's career has been that he was the ex-tour manager for James Brown. It's our belief on this program that the GOP is doing an Ed Muskie job on Howard Dean. They do not want to face Howard Dean in November. They're much more comfortable with uh, John Kerry. We'll talk more about that on next week's program. But uh, Howard Dean says if he doesn't win in Wisconsin, he may withdraw. I think he probably will have to once he says he's going to. So I hope he does win in Wisconsin, and then hopefully on the March 2nd Super Tuesday, we will revive his campaign. I believe he is by far the strongest person at this point the Democrats could run. And when Karl Rove says the Dean's the one he wants, well, (laughs) remember the old tale about Br'er Rabbit being thrown in uh, in the briar patch? Well, I think that's what we're talking about here. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.